Okay, well, we uh, continue our study uh, with uh, in the book of Judges. We're uh, in chapter 7, and we're dealing with Gideon. And uh, usually, uh, when you think of Gideon, you think of the Bible stories. You know, you think of Sunday school, and Gideon has his 300 men, and everybody knows that story and everything. I was thinking, you know, how does this fit in with our lives? Where we're at. Not that that really matters because the Word of God is the Word of God. Have you ever noticed sometimes you get into some kind of study and you think, ah, I kind of know this one, been through this a lot. How's this going to go? You know, but uh, God's Word is always fresh. So I'm not uh, denigrating God's Word at all. It's just like, okay, how do you make this fresh? Or how do you make it applicable? Well, as I read through, like Joshua. And as we've gone through Judges so far, have you noticed that we're kind of like in a setting that they were, in the sense of where there was disobedience of a nation, and God, uh, you know, He doesn't turn His back, but He brings on discipline. And then the people just do it even more against Him, disobeying, and then uh, He winds up delivering them again, over and over. That has happened. I think we've had a lot of warnings in this nation. And uh, I think about really what the ultimate is here is that when the odds are at its worst is whenever God's glory is seen the most. And so, you take a guy like Gideon, anything really fantastic about Gideon in his life has God kind of gave a visit to him? Nope. His family was no big deal. He was the least in his family, the youngest, and he he knew that of all people, he's unworthy. And uh, God picks who he wants, and most often, he takes somebody that is not well known or seemingly capable of doing the job, and uh, God winds up getting the glory. When we're weak, he is strong. He gets the glory. So in this story here, that's really what it amounts to. As we know that he, uh, Gideon is going to defeat the Midianites of all people. Midianites have been oppressing the Israelites for years now, a seven-year period, and it was horrible. The conditions were unbearable, and they barely got enough to eat if they did. I'm sure they had trouble getting water. Just basics to life. And yet, here we have God not forgetting His promise. And now it's time to raise up Gideon, and that's what we uh, we looked at last week. And uh, he destroyed the altar of Baal at his father's house. And um, he's ready to uh, do what God has given him to do. And so that's where we're at as we get to chapter 7. And uh, see a mighty victory here. I think it uh, lends a lot of hope to us in the days that we live. Uh, You count on God whenever things look almost impossible. And that's when God does His best work. (laughs) If we could say best, right? Uh, But anyway, that's where we're at. I think it's very uh, applicable uh, for us. So hopefully... We can see that. Let's pray. Father, great God, you are awesome indeed. We want to magnify your greatness 
your awesomeness. You are a holy God, a righteous God. You're also a God that promises, and you always complete your promises, even despite the people and their sin. You still do what you're going to say, and that's a great God that we have. And as we look at Gideon tonight, may we learn a little bit more how you work and who you use. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the army assembles. That's Gideon's army. Yes, they're getting ready to take on the Midianites. They're the problem now. They've been a problem seven years. So in the first two verses, it says, Then Jeroboam, that's another name for Gideon, right? That is Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early, camped beside the spring of Harad, and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So where they're at now is uh, they're up north uh, in Israel, and Gideon is going to lead his army. He has responded to God's call to lead uh, Israel. Basically, a few tribes here is what it amounts to, and a few out of them. The spring of, uh, I say, Harad, because if I say Herod, it looks like Herod, doesn't it? But it doesn't have anything to do with like a King Herod, or they come later. But they're not even of, uh, of the Midianites in this sense. It says uh, it was really on the other side of the um, north side of the hill of Mora in the, in the valley. Directly opposite of uh, where the Midianite army is and, and where Gideon is at. It's a well-watered place, a uh, very easily defensible kind of a position where they're at. Uh, Harad is re- related to the Hebrew verb. It means to tremble. To tremble. Do you think maybe they might have been trembling at this time as they're getting ready to take on the great mighty Midianites? They don't have a chance. But they're going to do it. Gideon has been convinced. God kept giving him the signs. So he said, okay, let's go. Uh, Don't know how confident he is right now, but God gave him the sign of the fleece and of course, the uh, what the burning up of the sacrifice or, or the food that he had brought out. So here we go. Uh, verses three through eight is where God commands Gideon. He gives him the commands, the instructions. <clears throat> uh, says in verse two, I didn't read two, did I? The Lord said to Gideon, "The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. It's just too many of them." Uh, of you guys. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Well, that's pretty well the story right there, isn't it? It's pretty well a giveaway. The mystery has been solved. talks about, you know, they have thousands, and God says that He wants to make it really small here so that they wouldn't brag, and so God's power would be seen. Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return. Depart from Mount Gilead. Can you imagine having an army, a U.S. army, and then all of a sudden, you know, the general says, Hey, if you have any ones who are kind of afraid and trembling, just let them go on back home. 
<laughs> Can you imagine that? So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that of he whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you, but every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the three hundred men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands, so let all the other people go, each man to his own. So the three hundred men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands. Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the three hundred men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So too many gets them down, too large, need to get them down further than that. They've got to learn a difficult lesson that uh, Yahweh's power is perfect and He's perfect in human weakness. 300 is going to take on literally thousands of the Midianites. So when we're weak, we have to rely on the power of God without a doubt, right? How many times can you think in the Scriptures where God has taken what looks like an impossible situation? How about Abraham and the situation that he had as far as his age and his wife's age. It was impossible. He let it go that far, right? How many times do we see that? How many other times do we see it where outnumbered? Just, you know, constantly through Scripture. So two-thirds of them leave. you got 32,000. 22,000 leave. you got 10,000 left. Still too many. So you have the lappers. 300 lappers. I never heard of lappers. Yeah, yeah you got you know that one group who you know wait. takes it and you know they okay they kneel down and you know just get down into the water to get it that way this way you know they're yeah. taking it and they're taking it by their hand and right. lapping it right on up and uh, okay to their mouth for a name for a ball team, then? A the lappers they win maybe we could call it the Washington Lappers. <laughs> no more Redskins. They're looking for a name. Yeah, that's right. The Lappers. Are they really trying to change their they, yeah, They've done it. They're, they haven't changed it. I mean, no more. They, well, they were use talking that name. about the Chiefs, too. Yeah. Oh, yep, why not? So we're gonna Cleveland get Indians. We've got to get some Atlanta biblical Braves. names. Get them all out. Yeah, let's get some yeah, biblical sure. names. And the guy that the, the American Indian made the logo for the Redskins. Yeah, there are very few that are really offended. And they only got offended whenever somebody said something. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can get some money Sorry, out of this didn't deal. mean to distract you. I just thought that the reason they, were, <laughs> the reason they finally changed their 
idea on this is because, and they've been going up against it the whole time and never, you know, gave in. But when you have all the companies that support them and give them all the money that they need, uh, they decided to back off and say, okay, we will change the name. So that's, that's why. They don't haven't know. gotten it yet. They don't know. That's why we're saying maybe the lappers. Maybe the lappers. Maybe we ought to, you know, share that with each other's scripture. That's right. And the Texas Rangers are going after them now because those are bad people. The, they would be, yeah, the Rangers would be white supremacists. Yeah, that's what they said. Oh. Yeah. So we got to come up with a name for them. But we'll rename the teams for them since it's saying biblically you know it would be okay. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? We live in some crazy times, folks. Just nuts. So, the 300 lappers. We can only imagine the stunned reaction that Gideon has on this. God, what are you doing? I mean, really? 32,000. Now down to 300. And uh, he's going to use these 300 who cup their hands to drink. Yahweh is going to save the entire nation. And he's going to do it. Matter of fact, he doesn't need he doesn't even need the 300 men. He just let number two right. He doesn't need even Gideon. He could have just wiped them out, couldn't he, by himself. But he doesn't do it that way. And that reminds me, you know, as we studied Joshua, he says, I'll give you the land. But then he has them go out and fight the battles. But they always win if they've been obedient. And here it is again through Judges. He says, I'll give you the land. My battery says it's running low. That's 10%. So whoever's watching this, if anybody watches it, uh, I'll be done in a few minutes. So the battery is just going to go. I don't have the cord. So uh, sorry about that. But that's the way it goes. You're going to have to read really hard, really quick, to get through this chapter in about 10% of the time. I would say there might be five minutes left, ten minutes, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I did last week. I forgot something else. I forgot the outline. I brought it this week, didn't I? Yeah. But I didn't bring my cord this week. The week before, I don't think I brought this. I don't know. There's always something. Of course, I forget to call people who I'm supposed to, and my battery just went, and it's 7%. So we can at least get one more point for him. I will tell you, if you're watching on there, Gideon wins this thing with 300 people because of the torches, the trumpets, right, the breaking of the glass, and they go down and get it. And so anyway, that's the end of the Bible study. Thank you for coming out tonight. Well, I was going to ask you, Yes, that's right. I was going to ask you for giving any idea how many Midianites there were, but as if you jump ahead, it says there were 120,000 fallen men who drew the sword. So, you know, there, <laughs> so there were more than that, right? That's right. That's right. Wow. So uh, 300 against 120 plus. Yeah. What chance do you have? God knows what He's doing. He always does. We always go, God, how can this work? <laughs> well, he says, read the book of Judges. Have you ever read about Gideon? Well, yeah, but that's the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> anyway, 
It's an impossibility, humanly. 300 cannot take on over 100,000 men and win the battle. How can that happen? Well, if you got God on your side, or really, let's say that we're on His side, that's better, isn't it? So we've seen His commands that were given there. And now, in 9 through 14, this is the way it's going to go down. In 9, it says, Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it unto your hands. But if you're afraid to go, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you'll hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Did you notice that? He, he gave him an option. He said, go on down there. By the way, okay, listen, if, uh, if you're afraid, then you can go ahead and take somebody with you. But did he really need to take anybody? Didn't really have to. But God's good. He says, okay, it's all right. You know, fine. Gideon keeps kind of doubting, you know, this 300 men thing. You know, he's still not convinced probably, but he's getting more confidence as it goes. And now he'll get a lot of confidence as he goes down into the camp. He says, you'll hear what they say, verse 11. Afterward, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he says, when you get there, you're going to be strengthened. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent, struck it so that it fell, turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, well, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. <coughs> Two guys. One has a dream, tells it. And the guy says, Oh, that's the sword of Gideon. He's from Israel. That his God is going to give all of us to him. Interpret it. Gideon hears this. How does he know about Gideon? Oh, they got well. Oh. They're all gathered there. Yeah, they don't get they're right across. Yeah, they're ready they to don't, fight. Yeah, oh. they they're very close. Okay. So that's uh, that was the way it was going to go down. Uh, upon hearing of the dream, Gideon knows that victory is assured. Oh, he's getting real confident now. He's ready. God gave him another little sign, didn't he? Go down there, spy it out. And when you spy it out, you're going to get strengthened. He needed that a lot, didn't he? So do we, don't we? We always need to be strengthened. Isn't this something that we're used to do? We believe God. We know He can do it. We know He has all the power. Yeah, But it doesn't work that way for me. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. 
Ah, yeah, he goes to worship. Not bad. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given us the camp of Midian into your hands. All he had to hear was those two guys. He knew that came from God. He's ready. He was a little bit questionable. Now, he's ready to take them on. So he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers in the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. He said to them, Look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, For the Lord and for Gideon. You've heard that one before, right? Okay, that's another section, isn't it? The, he's, a, he's a timid man, Gideon has been, all along. He's getting a little more bolder as it goes. Now he's ready to lead his men. You notice how God just kind of was patient with him. He took him up to the point of where he was really ready to lead now. And I like that when he came back to them. He said, hey, arise. The Lord has given us this. You know, Look at that. The Lord, Yahweh, has given the camp of Midian into your hands. I can tell you right now. I can guarantee it. No doubt. So a timid man is no longer timid. He's... He's got a mighty army. 300 against the mighty army of the Midianite camp. And it's it's like when, when you look at this, you go, this is how he works with us. How many years has he been really gentle with us? And when we do finally go into battle, we are prepared. We should be, shouldn't we? So the worst thing that can happen to an army is that they get into a panic and the panic sweeps through the whole ranks. And that's exactly what happened here. The deception works. 300 men will sound like a mighty host of angels. And if they catch the Midianites by surprise, they'll break and run. Even more than that is what happens. So, look at the next section. And I mean this Midian ar- ar- Midianite army is just swiftly taken care of here. 19, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. We're talking about somewhere between 12 2 3 o'clock 12 2 in the morning it's about when it gets at its darkest that's when you want to attack right? you don't want to do it whenever it's going to light out you know on the 4th of July it's like one of the brightest longest days of the year it's 9 o'clock and you're saying it's time for the fireworks and you're still well it's still kind of light out especially if you're up in Michigan you have to wait for another hour I think it doesn't get dark there till midnight or something. But, you know, you wait and you wait. People get tired of waiting. They start firing them off. And you can't, you can't even see them very good because it's not dark enough. You have to wait till it's real dark. 
Here in Jeff City, they wait till they say 9.30. But actually, it's always 9.42 is when it is. So, you want to go at the darkest time. Why is that? Because they're going to light it up. The 300 are going to have these torches, you know. And so, that is going to look real bright whenever you've got men who are in the dark and they've been sleeping. So, uh, here we here we have... Did we read that? What did I do? I was right in the middle of it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, the watch. They blew the trumpets. That's going to sound loud. 300 trumpets. It's going to sound really loud. And they smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. 300 of those going off could be pretty noisy. Trumpets are noisy. When the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Hold it. How many hands you got? Yeah. <laughs> Why, what was the purpose of breaking the pitchers? I don't understand that. I think that was probably a, a lighter. Was that yep. thing that had flame stuff in it? Oh, know. so the pitchers were concealing the torches. Yeah, until they were ready to start. Oh, right. got it. And they're real close. I mean, they're right there. And then you hear that cracking of it. That's what's, you know, that kind of noise and the trumpets. I mean, it's going to sound magnified. I mean, it's going to be scary. You know, even with all the 100,000 plus, they have no idea. This sounds like hundreds of thousands It's coming now. So it's dark. They're sleeping, and so a great time to do it. They and they shout out at the same time. Shout, blowing the trumpets, sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Right. Each stood in his place around the camp. They stood, and all the army ran the Midianites around the camp. <laughs> you know, man, they are in a fury. And all the army ran, crying out as they fled. You know, they're yelling and everything's going crazy. It's just nuts. Somebody blowing a trumpet in your ear. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord, Yahweh, set the sword of one against another. Even throughout the whole army. They're killing themselves. It's like in the riots. They kill themselves. Hmm. And the army fled as far as Bethshittah towards Zerah, as far as the edge of Abel Maholah by Tabith. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Now that's interesting. I'm not so sure what's happening here. Darkest hour of the night. They approach the perimeter of the Midianite camp. They get into place. 300 blow the horns, smash the jars, hold their torches high, shout out this battle cry. The Midianites have no idea that they're there. They're right on them. And the result of Gideon's plan that was given by God was that panic swept through the whole ranks to every one of them throughout the whole Midianite camp. And 
in what was it, verse 21 there, we read how this kind of came to pass. Gideon's men held their place on the perimeter. So the panic was so great. The soldiers awakened to the sounds of the enemy army. And, I mean, they know that their lives are going to be taken here. They don't have a chance. They, have, they put up no defense at all. Well, they didn't have a trumpet. You know, back when they have a trumpet or a, a torch is all you got. They don't have anything have ready. No I mean, there's... Yeah, they have no weapons. And they thought this was going to be an easy battle. With all the numbers they have, the Israelites could come up with more, maybe through other tribes and stuff coming up and helping them, but, you know, not not a chance. They're not thinking anything about like, something like this happening. So they're fleeing, and you'll notice it gives some names of where they went. And you you might be looking it up on your map and you can't find it. And don't get frustrated because you're not going to find it. We don't even know where this is at. It's obviously it didn't do them any good because it got wiped out. <laughs> well, can I give you a hint? They fled toward the east. They're fleeing toward the Jordan River. That's where they're heading. Matter of fact, you remember the Midianites came from the eastern side on the other side. and Of course, they had taken up a lot of ground, taken from the Israelites. So... Whenever you are a 300-man army and you're seeing them go off in full flight, I mean, they're fleeing, they're killing each other, and everybody's running, and it's just absolute bedlam and madness, Gideon forgets. This is why I find this really interesting. In verse 23, the men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh and they pursued Midian. What's what's <laughs> what wrong with gonna, this picture? Well, what are they going to do? Chase them just for the fun of it. It's not like they have weapons. Yeah. I mean, if they have weapons, yeah. I'm thinking those 300 men would have had them. <laughs> they don't even have torches. <laughs> you know, they just like they just got into the chase. What did God give Gideon to fight with? 300 men. Now that they're on the run, Gideon just changes the plan. God told him to do the 300. Do you see that he says, now I can, we can really get them now. Let's get our other. See, they didn't need anybody else. He went back and got reinforcements. Yep. And because it's a bit, you know, a lot of them are getting away here, right? Still yet. So he's thinking, okay, I'll help God out here and go ahead and get the other guys now. These are the guys that went home. They sent them home. God sent them home. Just get out. We don't need you. You know, just stay. Well, here they come with him. He could have finished the job with 300 men. It, it doesn't say anything here. And God got mad at Gideon, and then the army turned back on him and beat him. You know, I mean, God didn't do that. So, but you have to read, and it's—I don't think it's reading between the lines here. It's just going back and saying. So Gideon. They kept, picked the 300 kept, to do. Should just kept pushing those guys. That's all he had to do. Right. Yeah. They, are they all going to kill each other eventually or something? Well, God will take care of them, right? They they want to destroy him totally, and they will. Uh, So he summons the same men 
who had been dismissed, and they assembled to uh, go get these guys. I, I think uh, you have a lot of zeal and courage now. Yep. I mean, the, the 300 guys, men are pumped. Gideon's all pumped up, you know. Let's go for the kill. Let's get all the other ones. We can do this. Well, they can do it. They don't need them. It's going to be a, a, a rout. You know, Midianite, Midianite army doesn't have a chance. Um, they were never able to regroup out of this. <laughs> they're on the run. They're, they don't know what's going on. They're in flight. So Gideon saw an opportunity to wipe out the whole lot of them. Well, you want to wipe them all out. But that's why I raised this right here of saying he didn't need to do this. God never told him that. That's still a part of the same battle, isn't it? Well, here's cleaning up after that battle, 24-25. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, way up north there, saying, come down against Midian and take the waters before them. I mean, he's giving commands here. He's the general, he's the, the judge, he's in, he's in control. This is all going to get him into trouble as time goes on. He has great confidence now. All right, guys. You know what I mean? He's rallying the troops and he's got all the... You know what I mean? He's charged up. We're going to get them now. We're going to blow them away. Come down against Midianite, uh, the Midian and take the waters before them as far as Beth, Borah, and Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned and they took the waters as far as Beth, Borah, and the Jordan. He's sending these guys actually to get uh, ahead of them out in a way where what they're going to do is they're going to try to block any kind of crossing where the Jordan River would be, where the normal crossings would be, and they're going to be there waiting for them if they can, or at least go in the right direction there. They captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they pursued Midian. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. So Ephraim is in the hill country. It's south of this Jezreel Valley. If you're looking at a map or anything there, you'll see probably a Jezreel Valley. The men of Ephraim are are out there, they're wanting to get at the crossing points to get any of the Midianites that they can get. Uh, they want to effectively cut them off and prevent them from escaping all the way across the Jordan where they could be scattered and maybe not get them anymore. Not only had the entire Midianite army been routed by 300 men, but they were chased out of the Jezreel Valley all the way out of there all the way back to the Jordan River, way east there. So what's more is two Midianite princesses, Oreb means raven, and Zeb means wolf, for whatever that's worth. They were captured by the men of Ephraim, and they were beheaded. And that's like, this is a victory. Take those heads off, that's it. So they bring them back. This is like a, a total victory. And so these people had so cruelly oppressed the Israelites for seven years 
now you have their heads. Boy, don't you feel good about this. Yes! Right? It's victory. And they had been... Where had the Israelites been living? In caves. Dens. Holes in the ground. And they had been defeated all that time. And all of a sudden, they had possession of the men of Ephraim there, the spoils of war, the heads. So that is that story. What can we take from this? What can we get out of this? Gideon's role in this victory over the Midianites kind of uh, takes us to two directions here. God raises up Gideon to rescue Israel from the Midianites. God is not going to allow unbelief of the nation of Israel to continue. And he comes in and in his redemptive purposes intercedes in this situation. God will allow his people to go through some really rough times, uh, maybe a, what you could call here a covenant curse. They've been cursed many times. But He's delivered them. And He still has His people. You think of preserving His uh, elect. And He continues to pare the way for His people. Throughout all this, God is working out His sovereign purpose and His plan. So regardless of their stiff neck that they had, they finally cried out to him because they got to the lowest point that they could possibly go. Otherwise, they would have been totally overtaken. They, you, would, you would not have had Israel anymore. So if God does this for Israel, how much more would he do it for the church? Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Big numbers, right? Gideon saw the big numbers of the Midianites. So they came up the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And after that is the great white throne judgment where every unbeliever will be judged and sentenced for an eternity in hell. God wins. We're on his side. 
we win. There's a demonic war going on right now. You have the good angels, and they outnumber <laughs> the demons. Two thirds to one third, isn't it? Myriads, right? That's a lot, but it's a it's it's a satanic battle, demonic battle that the good angels are actually defeating, but it's like in Daniel, you remember that there was a war going on, it was supernatural. And I'm convinced the craziness that's going on, the absolute chaos, is because really the battle of all battles is really going up into the unseen world. We don't see the spiritual realm of this. I can tell you, all the bad and evil people here on this earth are just pawns in the hands of of Satan, but ultimately of God. There is no contest. There really isn't. God's already got this thing written out. It's already a done deal. But what we see is something that looks like what Gideon probably saw. And he'd say the numbers are not equaling out here. It doesn't seem like anything can happen possibly here. Uh, don't underestimate God. We win the war. Those little battles, <laughs> they don't let them confuse you. This is what he does for the church. And you know, you, you look at uh, that section that we're at, and then you look at ch- chapter 21, where you have a new heaven and a new earth. And all the glory that's in it. And you look at man, and he thinks glory is burning up buildings and looking at pictures of Minneapolis or St. Louis or. Chicago, Detroit. What's happening out there in L.A.? They've torched a few places there too, haven't they? We haven't even been seeing any of this in the national news. You see it other places. But, you know what? I see this and I'm going, we battle not against flesh and blood. No matter what we see here, there's something in the supernatural realm that is happening. And believe me, the good angels will win because God makes sure that they will win. We win. And uh, we see the outcome of the final battle there. That's the way that it's going to go. Gideon's victory was stunning. Because the Midianites were as numerous as the sand of the sea that's said here in this text here in Revelation. Numerous. But you know what? When God's people seem to stand no chance at all, that's when God gets the most glory. So this is what's happening. God is getting ready to get His glory. Is that good to share with? Does that give us hope? <laughs> there should not be any reason for not having hope. Because we know the hope is guaranteed. Well, on the last day, when that trumpet sounds, the trumpet, the trumpet of Christ, the armies of heaven will appear in the sky. Christ will return in all His glory and we'll triumph with Him. So anyway, 
just uh, thought that that was a pretty good picture there in Judges of what the victory is for the church. <laughs> That's evil thinking they're going to win. You know what? They really never ever win. <laughs> they keep getting madder and madder and they keep losing. Anyway, is that encouraging? Just remember that. That's why we have these stories like Gideon. So, it's the same story. You've heard it a million times probably. So we need and it's like, what? how do you get something torque. new out of this? That's right. In the most unimaginable ways. And that God always does that. He doesn't do it in the conventional way, does He? And so what we see is not what really is really happening. Yay! Hey, would you guys like to pray? Would uh, I'll tell you what, I'll just start it. And anybody else who would like to, we need to be praying. The church worldwide... Uh, Yeah, uh...